It was just a few weeks ago that we learned about the coronavirus in a Chinese province that most of us had never heard of. But then it spread to greater China and soon thereafter uh, in other parts of Asia, like Korea, Japan, and then on to the Middle East, especially Iran. Not long after COVID-19 popped up uh, in Europe, uh, with Italy seeming to be the epicenter, and when the coronavirus landed on America's shores, there were outbreaks along the coasts, uh, Washington State, New York. But then we learned of cases in the Chicago area, and it spread to different parts of Illinois. And now, just a few days ago, the virus has shown up right here in McLean County. It's no longer out there. It's now right here in our midst. And we, just weeks ago, we were reading about it and hearing about it, but today we're living it. And of course, shelter in place is not only a health concern, uh, but it's also an economic concern and uncertainty. And so as our community has scrambled, much like the nation has scrambled and the world has scrambled, there seems to be a common driver behind this. And, and if I were to summarize in one word uh, what it is I've heard from so many people, that word would be fear. Fear is what so many are feeling and experiencing today. And so today, uh, I want to spend a little time talking about fear, what God's Word says about fear uh, and how we can go to battle against fear. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you uh, that your word is still speaking to us uh, in moments, God, like this, where uh, there's so much fear out there uh, and even uh, fear in our hearts and in our minds. So God, give us uh, open eyes, open ears, uh, and open spirits to hear what you would want to speak to us uh, through your word. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to the book of Acts. Acts is in the New Testament right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts is actually the shortened title of the book that's actually called the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, we might think of it as the actions of the early church. And I love the book of Acts because it chronicles or tells the story of how God's people live their lives on this side of the resurrection. The vast majority of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record Jesus' life before the cross and resurrection. And we all live our lives on this side of the cross and resurrection. And so the Acts of the Apostles is the story of the weeks, the months, the years of the church telling us how the Holy Spirit moved among them and they were witnesses to the good news of Jesus' accomplishment over death. Acts is the story of now what? Now that what Jesus has done for the world through the cross and the resurrection, now that God has unleashed this movement of the Holy Spirit through his church, now what? Now what do we do? And of course, Acts uh, serves as this invitation for you and for me to, to jump on to the movement of God and to be a part of what God is doing uh, in the world. 
The book of Acts is filled with story after story of action. The people of God were of movement of God who went there, and then they went over there, and then they went over there, and they kept moving, and the movement of God was alive and breathing, and it was hard to keep uh, up with all that God was doing. And there's so much movement uh, in the book of Acts that sometimes that we're not exactly sure all that's going on. And part of the problem for those of us uh, who've been around the church for a long time is that we tend to have a bit of a, a revisionist history, uh, either consciously or unconsciously. And immediately following the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, we tend to think to ourselves, ah, that's when the puzzle pieces of the church just kind of neatly fell into place, that, that love and peace and harmony just broke out and everyone couldn't stop singing Kumbaya. But the truth is, the early church was filled with chaos. The movement of God's people existed in a larger context, a world of persecution and chaos and fear. It was far from Kumbaya in the early church. And so this morning, as we're looking at just a small snippet of the book of Acts, uh, as recorded in Acts 20, we're reminded that much of what was going on, these people understood uh, fear. It was all around them, and they were experiencing lots and lots of uh, struggle and tumult uh, in the life of the church. Acts 20 picks up with the story of the Apostle Paul. And Paul was, of course, an extraordinary uh, missionary, and he traveled all over. And Acts tw 20 records the story of Paul's third missionary journey. And as he goes through his life proclaiming Jesus, he faces struggle after hardship, after struggle, after persecution. And uh, Paul is never really sure if today, the day that he was living on that day, was going to be his last day. He just, he kind of lived his life in this world uh, of life and death because there was just so much hardship and struggle and persecution and whippings and beatings and imprisonment. Paul understood what it was like to have this spirit of fear uh, permeating in the world. And I have to imagine Paul himself uh, experienced a great deal of uh, fear as well. So again, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to begin with uh, Acts 20, beginning with verse 16. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia so that he might be able to spend uh, more time uh, in Jerusalem. He was eager to get to Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, he sent a message to Ephesus, asking the elders of the church to meet him. When they came to him, Paul said to them, You yourselves know how I have lived among you the entire time, from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, enduring the trials that came to me through the plot of the Jews. Another translation says that Paul was uh, experiencing severe testing. Paul knew what it was like to go through trials and severe testing. 
Paul continues on, I did not shrink from doing anything helpful, or, uh, proclaiming the message to you and teaching you publicly from house to house, as I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, as a captive to the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem uh, not knowing what will happen to me when I get there. Again, you might want to underline that. Paul's going to Jerusalem, and he doesn't know what's going to happen uh, when he gets there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and, and uh, persecution awaits me. Imprisonment and persecution. So the Holy Spirit saying, Paul, this is where you're going, and wherever you go, uh, just keep in mind, probably persecution and imprisonment. And the Holy Spirit did not lie to Paul because that's what he experienced time and time again, and especially when he would get to uh, Jerusalem. But I do not count my life of any value to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the good news of God's grace. Paul is absolutely, he says, I've got one aim, one aim alone, and that is to testify, to point other people uh, to the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul is remarkably focused in this text, uh, in this story of, of what it means to, to keep on mission uh, through lots of hardship and lots of struggle and lots of uncertainty. He stays so focused on the task that God had given him in the midst of all the noise and the turbulence that's going on. Paul says, there is a movement of God and I am sticking with it. I am staying focused on it. And so today, uh, as fellow disciples, uh, followers of Jesus, on the same movement of God, we, the church, have that same task that Paul had, testifying, proclaiming the good news of God's grace. That is the purpose of every Christ follower, to grow in our relationship with God, ourselves, and then to invite others to experience this life-giving, life-transforming relationship that they too might become disciples of Jesus Christ. Your task is the same as Paul's task, and we are called to stay focused in the midst of lots of uh, craziness going on in the world. And, and so how do we do that? How do we stay focused on this? The same task uh, in the midst of great challenge, especially when you might be experiencing fear in your own life. And so today I want to uh, suggest uh, three ideas uh, for staying focused on the work that Jesus has called for you and for me and for the church. The first one is understanding the cause of fear. The second one is embracing the cure for fear. And the third is going to battle what I call the five or six battles of fear. And I want to start with understanding the cause of fear, because if we don't understand uh, where fear comes from, then we're really never sure how to go uh, to battle against it. And you might recall uh, when God created the world as recorded in Genesis 1 and 2, God created and it was good, and God created and it was good, and God created and it was good. And then God created people, man and women, and he said, ah, this is really good. 
Everything was coming alive. Everything was new. Everything was fresh. Everything was safe. Everything was healthy. Everything was good. There was absolutely nothing to fear in Genesis 1 and 2 when God created the world. And then the story continues in Genesis 3. The spirit of fear comes onto the scene, and we know that spirit of fear is the serpent or the enemy of God. Satan tempts our first parents to rebel against God, and of course they fell. They succumbed to that temptation. Now sin was in the world, and there is lots to fear. And their greatest fear was death, because before that, there was no death. And God comes along, and he says to our first parents, Hey, what's happening? What's going on? Where are you? Now, whenever God comes to us uh, in, in Scripture and asks a question, God already knows the answer. Or Jesus sometimes would have a conversation with someone, and, they, and, and, and Jesus would uh, ask them a question. Jesus knows the answer. God knew the answer to this, why they were hiding. And so God comes along, uh, and he says uh, to, to Adam, who's hiding at this point in time, he's, he's terribly afraid. He's hiding from God. He's hiding from his wife. And God finds Adam and says, why are you making these decisions? Why did you do what I told you to not do? Why are you hiding? And Adam very simply said, because I was afraid. In other words, fear began with sin and a rebellion against God. And it's the first occasion in human history where a person actually felt fear. Up until that point in time, there was no need to experience fear. Everything was good. But when sin came into the world, everything changed. And ever since, we human beings have struggled with fear. Fear is something that we've all struggled with in varying times and varying places and varying degrees. And just as God did not create sin, God also did not create fear. The enemy of God created fear. And since according to Scripture, that is the cause, that is the root of fear, we ask ourselves, what is the solution? What is the cure? What is the anecdote of fear? And the good news is scripture also tells us not only the cause, the root of fear, but it also gives us uh, the cure for fear, uh, the solution to fear. One of Jesus' disciples, the apostle John, tells us in John 4 that there is no fear in love. Zero fear in love. John says, perfect love casts out fear. The love of God can and, and fear, they cannot coexist together. It's kind of like light and darkness coming together. One has to win, and what wins, of course, is always light overcomes the darkness. Light wins every time. And John tells us uh, in 1 John that when fear in uh, Jesus uh, come together, uh, the love of God come together, that the love of God wins every single time. See, Jesus really is the answer to whatever fears you might be facing in your life right now, because we can't control what goes on out there, but we can control what happens in here. 
Because what goes on in the world, uh, there's lots that is not okay with the world. Never has been, never will, uh, since sin entered the world. But if we live in the love of God, we can be okay in here. And so fear was caused and began with the enemy of God, and fear is conquered and cured through the love of God. His name is Jesus. And I want to shift very practically uh, towards those battles that we fight to address fear every single day in our lives. And, and I'm only going to address about five or six battles of fear. I'm sure there's a whole lot more, uh, but I just want to hit on, on five or six of them today. And the first battle I want to address is, is that uh, fear is often a false prophecy. Fear is also a false prophecy. Now, a false prophet is one who predicts the future that doesn't come to pass. And the most influential voice in your life is your voice for your future. And sometimes your own voice is a false prophet. We predict a future that doesn't actually happen. You ever done that? Some of you probably remember Y2K. We were told that when the computer uh, clicked over uh, to the year 2000, everything in the world would shut down. Computers would start smoking. Airplanes would fall out of the sky. The Antichrist would show up, and it would be a 21st Armageddon battle. And then we watched, we looked at our clocks, we waited for the world to end. And when the year 2000 suddenly happened... Nothing happened. We asked ourselves, what am I going to do with all this canned corn? Where do I use all these batteries? And what about all this shotgun ammunition, right? It didn't happen. Fear is oftentimes a false prophet. Fear lies about the future. And the second battle I want to talk about is how fear can make us ineffective. Fear can make us ineffective, and we need to go to battle against this fear. See, in moments like this, there are things that we need to be doing, things that we should be doing, but we're so afraid that we don't do them because we're so locked up, we're so fearful. It's so easy to get sucked into the vortex of 24-7 news on television. On uh, the sensationalism on the radio, all the negativity uh, on social media. Now, there is a lot of bad news out there for sure. Perhaps more global bad news than has ever been in our generation or in uh, the past few generations. I don't want to downplay for a moment how bad things are out there. There is a lot of bad stuff going out there, and we got to be informed about the stuff that's going on. So we got to pay attention to the news. We got to pay attention uh, to the media and all that's going on. But isn't it true that there's so many different accounts of what's going on, we're not really sure who to believe and who we can trust? In the past few weeks, I've been a part of a, a, an online uh, pastor's chat, and, and most of these pastors I've never even met. I don't know who they are, and, and they're all kind of asking the same question. There's kind of almost been this frantic question about what we're supposed to be doing as pastors, and it's it's been a, a little odd, I'm not going to lie, uh, because there's just a lot of fear, but 
Uh, there's just this, they're just tied up in knots and uh, there's just kind of this hand wringing. There's just kind of all of a sudden, um, well, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And and I'm a little confused because what do we do? We, we just keep doing what, you know, we've always been doing. We, we pray with people. We pray for people. Uh, we study God's word. We, we look for ways to serve. And, and most of what I do as a pastor, it looks different because of the social distancing for sure, but the essence is still the same. My role is to keep doing what I've been doing over the past uh, 25 years. I'm not going to allow fear uh, to make me completely ineffective. Now, I'm not going to lie. I have been more, uh, a little bit more ineffective. I've been a little bit distracted. I've I've written multiple sermons, and, and what I've learned over the past few weeks is, is to write my sermon later on in the week, because if I write it earlier in the week, like I normally have been doing uh, for the past uh, many years, things change throughout the week, and then I have to rewrite a sermon and rewrite a sermon, and and so now more often than not, I'm writing my sermon Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, because things are changing, and, and so yeah, I am more ineffective. But I'm not going to be uh, completely ineffective. And and fear, uh, we got to go to battle against fear because it can make us ineffective because we become so hyper-focused on all that's going on and we become so locked up that we just become ineffective. The third battle I want to talk about uh, is the battle, uh, uh, the spirit of fear robs us. The spirit of fear robs us. Uh, Jesus tells us that the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And so what does the spirit of fear rob you of? Your joy, your hope, and your peace. See, there's not just a shortage of hand sanitizer and thermometers and and masks and and uh, respirators and COVID-19 tests. There's also a shortage of hope of peace, of joy. And ultimately, only God can provide these things. God has given you blessings to give to you, and the spirit of fear robs you of these things. And so you've got to claim God's blessings in your life, that the spirit of fear is not going to rob you of your joy and your peace and your hope. You've got to claim those things and just speak Jesus into those things so that you are not robbed. Go to battle with the spirit of fear so that you're not robbed of those precious things that God has given you. The fourth battle I want to address uh, is, is the, uh, the, the, the battle uh, uh, of fear that leads us to do irrational things. You know, as we watch the stock market going wild, wild swings, oh no, I lost everything. Oh good, it's all come back. Oh no, it's all gone again. You know, it's, it's like we're back and forth and, and we feel almost like whiplash or, or seasickness just kind of watching these things. It's, 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 it's dizzying, isn't it? And, it? and it's confusing for us. And, and the spirit of fear makes us do things and uh, say things and experience things. And we just... Uh, there's just so much uh, instability going on and, and it makes us just kind of want to buy stock or sell stock or buy toilet paper stock and sell it on eBay, right? I mean, it just, it seems like it's the only secure investment today. And, and then people are buying all this bottled water. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, 
You actually can turn on your faucet and drink from the tap. You can do that. As far as I know, COVID-19 has nothing to do with our water supply. And yet everybody's buying water as if everybody needs water. I don't get it. It's just the most strange thing. You go to the grocery stores and people have kind of lost their minds. Can we agree, right? I was at the hardware store this week and, and uh, the guy in plumbing, he said to me, you know, you really need flour. And I'm like, really? And he's like, oh yeah. When you think about it, you need flour for about everything. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't think I've used flour in years. I, I certainly have no plans of making any apple pies over the next few months. And I just don't get it. And, you know, a couple days later, I was at the uh, at the grocery store. And I just happened to look. There's no flour on the shelves, even if I wanted flour. I don't know what you guys are doing with all that flour out there. Uh, but I think many people have lost the battle uh, of, of just kind of common sense thinking. And we got to go to battle and, and think clearly as we go through all this. The fifth battle I want to talk about is the spirit of fear. Uh, makes us selfish. The spirit of fear drives us toward self-preservation, to hunker down and, and to watch out for ourselves. We become self-absorbed. We take stock of what we have and, and maybe even more importantly of what we don't have. And so we run out and we buy it. And, and that's why there's been such a run on things that I think uh, are, are pretty good to have, like milk and eggs and bread and meats. And, you know, these are staples that I, I don't know that we necessarily need, but I, I kind of think they're a good idea. And all of a sudden, people start hoarding these things. And we got to fight this urge to gather, to collect, and, and to hoard. And, and maybe this is where I just want to say, make sure you're reading the Red Letter Challenge this week, um, devotional book this week, because, um, you know, we're in this battle against selfishness, and it's so real, especially when we're fearful. And so just keep fighting that battle and resist the temptation uh, to, to, to just take care of yourself. Go to battle against that fear. And the last battle uh, that I want to address is uh, really kind of a, a summary of all the other battles. Battle number six uh, is, is the spirit of fear is godless. Let me say it this way. The spirit of fear wants you to consider your future without considering God. The spirit of fear tries to erase God so that God has no presence or place in your future. You know, getting back to the story of Paul in his missionary journey, Paul was on his way to Jerusalem, and he did not know what was awaiting for him there. But God did. God knew all the challenges Paul would face, and that Paul would eventually spend his last days on this earth in a Roman cell, a prison cell, and Paul would be executed. Paul didn't know that, but, but God did. And God knew uh, all along that the world was going to be going through what we're going through now here in 2020. See, you and I were probably surprised uh, the, what, what's gone on with the stock market. We were probably surprised at the coronavirus spreading throughout the world the way it spread, especially the fast, as fast as it spread. But at no point in time did God say, wow, 
I didn't see either one of those things coming. God didn't wake up one day a few weeks ago, turn on the television and say, what in the name of me is going on? I had no idea. God knew. God knew that this was going to happen. See, Paul had this incredible confidence. Paul knew that God knew. And so he had this incredible confidence to, to press forward, thinking to himself, God knows. I don't know. I don't know, but God knows. And Paul understood that regardless of the external circumstances that he didn't know, some he knew, some he didn't, what was going to happen in the future, that God was still in charge. Paul knew deep in his mind and his heart that God's got this. See, Paul remembered that when Jesus was about ready to get crucified, he was gathered with his disciples. He said to his guys, guys, I'm leaving soon. It's going to get really bad out there, and it's going to get really bad for all of us, for all of you. He says, and I'm going to a place and you can't, where I'm going, you can't go. And so the disciples are losing their minds. They're freaking out. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, Guys, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. And the disciples are like, Yeah, but these are troubling circumstances, Jesus. And Jesus says, give me whatever has made you scared and put your trust in me. You know, when I was a child, one of my favorite things to do was to go visit my grandparents. They lived on a farm in northwest Iowa. And whenever I went to my grandparents' farm, I didn't have a care in the world. I had no worries whatsoever. And that was especially true with spending time with my grandfather. I didn't have a care in the world. I loved going fishing uh, with my grandpa because he took care of everything. I didn't have to think about anything. And the night before we would go fishing, my grandpa would say to me, Champ, let's go outside and catch night crawlers. And then he would hand me a flashlight. I didn't have to go looking for a flashlight. He would just give me a flashlight and we'd go outside with our flashlights. And he would lead me around to different places on their farm and he would show me all the places where the night crawlers were. And we'd lead, shine our flashlights down at the night crawlers and I'd pick up the night crawlers. And I, and I never thought to myself, gosh, what do I do with the night crawlers? Because my grandpa always had a little styrofoam container with dirt in it. He took care of all those details details. And we'd spend an, about an hour uh, collecting night crawlers and putting them uh, in that little styrofoam container that would be bait uh, the next morning. And I'd go to bed that night and I wouldn't lay in bed wondering and worrying about where we were going to go or what we were going to catch or what bait or lures we might use. I went to sleep uh, without a care in the world because my grandpa took care of all that. And I would probably go to a sleep with, with a smile on my face. And I'd wake up in the morning. It was always early in the morning and my grandpa would kind of nudge me and he'd say, Champ, it's time to go fishing. 
And I would get out of bed and I would go straight to my bed, uh, straight from my bed, and I would jump right into my grandpa's car. Uh, and I, I didn't have to worry about a thing because my grandma already had our lunch pails all packed and ready to go. We always had the same thing, uh, fried egg sandwiches with mustard on them. And then our, uh, our lunch containers always had lots of uh, hard candy that we could suck on uh, throughout uh, the day. And I didn't think about fishing poles. My grandpa had those already in the car. I didn't think a tackle box. My grandpa had that under control. I didn't think about the bait. I didn't think about anything. And I would just jump right into his 1966 Ford Galaxy 500 with three on the, the, the column. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And we'd be, grandpa would be driving down the road and I would be sitting next to my grandpa in the front seat. And we'd be driving down these dusty roads, pulling a, an old fishing boat behind us. And the gravel roads would be kicking up dust all over the place. And there was no air conditioning, so we'd have to roll down our windows. And uh, my grandpa would uh, lean over and uh, he would get out uh, a tin of Copenhagen. He would take off the cap and he would take a, a bunch of Copenhagen, put it in his mouth. And then he'd reach across over to me and he'd give me some Copenhagen. And uh, at five years old, my grandfather uh, was teaching me how to chew tobacco. See, in those days... Uh, we didn't know anything about cancer or chewing tobacco. It was just, it's just what we did, right? And so we would have a big wad of chewing tobacco in our lips and, and we'd be spitting out the window and I was five, six, seven years old. And uh, that's, that's just my memories. And, and I never wondered, gosh, I wonder where grandpa's going to take me today. Or I wonder if he's going to find a lake. I didn't have a care in the world. Because my grandpa always knew uh, where he was going to take us and, and where we were going to fish. And, and, and I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, that 66 Ford Galaxy 500 had lap seat belts, but I'm also pretty sure that they were probably tucked into the seat because uh, nobody worried about the, those things in those days. I'm pretty sure that uh, uh, my grandpa got his fishing license, but I didn't worry about it because my grandpa took care of those, de those details as well. And so we would pull up, we'd put the boat in, and my grandpa knew exactly where to go on this, that, and the other lake, and, and we'd cast our rods in, and we'd just catch fish after fish after fish after fish. We always caught fish. I, it never even dawned on me that we wouldn't catch fish. See, I, wasn't, uh, I didn't realize uh, until many years later, and I was an adult, that sometimes people actually went fishing and didn't catch fish. That was not my experience. Because when I was with my grandpa, he just took care of even that detail. And we always caught our limit. We would catch all the fish in the world until we got to our limit. And he'd say, all right, champ, time to go home. And we'd load up our fishing gear and we'd put the boat back on the trailer and we'd get back in the uh, in the 66 Ford Galaxy and uh, sometimes I'd sit up in front with my grandpa and we'd talk all the way home chewing some more tobacco and other times I'd lay in the back of his sedan uh, in the back window sunning myself just kind of thinking about the day, uh, maybe taking a nap but just having lots of really good memories. I didn't worry about a single thing. Why is that? It's because my grandfather had everything under control. 
In John 14, the disciples are all losing their minds with the situation before them, and Jesus looks at them and says, Guys, my dad's got this. You need to trust him. You need to believe in him. And you need to believe in me. So in the days ahead, as you are listening to the radio, watching TV, and reading posts on the internet, and your anxiety might begin to rise, the waves are getting bigger and bigger, I want you to hear the words again, the words of Jesus, those red letter words. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Our Heavenly Father's got this. He's got this. Let us pray. God, we thank you that in the midst of all the unknowns in the world today, all the uncertainties out in the world, all the uncertainties in our own lives, that you are a God who comes to us just like you came to the Apostle Paul, just like you came to the disciples. You remind us that our Heavenly Father's got this. So God, give us faith in the midst of fear. Give us hope in the midst of fear. Give us peace in the midst of fear. Help us, God, to daily go to battle with fear. And be reminded that you didn't create fear, but you've got the cure for fear. And his name is Jesus. Help us, God, each and every day as we're facing fears to face them down and to live as you've called us to live, to be the church, the movement of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.